Travel Growth Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Travel Growth Podcast. I'm Tom McLaughlin, founder of SEO Travel, and this is where I speak to successful travel business leaders and dig into the successes, challenges, and learnings from their experiences over the years, so you, the listener, can take away actionable advice to enhance your own businesses, and maybe even lives too. My guest today is Nick Pulley. Nick is the founder of Selective Asia, a specialist travel operator who crafts unique experiential journeys across Asia with a focus on immersive experiences and traveling responsibly. I met Nick last year when he reached out to me after we announced our 100% initiative and he wanted to find out more about the thinking behind it. Subsequently, we've had lots of discussions and I've learned lots from him about his approach to business and travel, which I'm really excited to share with you today. We discussed how Nick got into travel and immediately had a desire to run his own business, how he defines success and also what it means to be an entrepreneur. But the main topic we get into is something we both have in common, which is moving our businesses to being self-managed organisations and the benefits that that can bring. We've both been working on that over the last year and the conversation highlights lots of actionable things that Nick's done that I think are super interesting and might well prompt you to delve deeper into the topic for your own business or the business that you work in. It really is a super interesting topic. Uh, and yeah, from a personal perspective, I've got a huge amount from it. So uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy. This is a really inspiring episode. There's lots of meaty suggestions in there and I really hope you enjoy it. So here's me and Nick Pulley. Nick, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thanks for coming on. We've got to know each other a bit over the last six months or so uh, and yeah, kind of crossed paths with various things that we're both doing with our businesses. So I'm really excited to talk to you in a bit more depth and find out more about that. And I'm sure there's going to be loads of fun stuff that uh, we can share with the audience that they'll... Absolutely. Likewise, I hope you bought your extra tape because as I recall, our conversation <laughs> seems to go down some pretty uh, deep tangents. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm sure we won't struggle to fill the time. <laughs> um, I thought we could go back and start right at the beginning. And you tell me, tell me about your education, like what you were doing there and kind of how that led into doing what you're doing now. Sure. Um, so I was very fortunate. I um, I, I got a, uh, a sort of a partial scholarship to a, um, a public school um, just north of London due to my um, uh, my rugby ability or my extreme size, should we say? Um, and um, so got a, had a really you know wonderful upbringing, very sort of sports orientated. Um, and then, unfortunately, at the time, um, I just as I hit eighteen, I I got a I got a reasonably severe head injury, which meant that I wasn't going to be able to play rugby anymore. So my plans very dramatically changed. And I had been traveling a little bit prior to that, touring with various sides. Um, and um, and so all of that sort of came to a, to a halt. And, and, and at 18, I sort of took the decision to take a year out, take stock and, and, um, and sort of reassess where I would go from there. The idea of going to sports college and then going on to play professional rugby was no longer on the table. So took a year out, had the time of my life, um, short visit to Australia and New Zealand, but actually the, the bulk of it was spent, um, you know, trying on various tie-dye items, growing my hair out and um, generally enjoying the Thai and, and, and uh, Indonesian way of life and had a, just had an absolute blast. I got a real taste for, for Asia and travel in general then. Um, I did go on to, uh, on to college, 
and um, studied geography and business, which um, obviously has sort of uh, proved to be the right pick um, as, as things transpired. But I, I also continued to, to travel an awful lot then. I think my, um, it's fair to say that my, uh, my parents, particularly my dad, was growing increasingly concerned that these trips that were just getting longer and longer and longer were never actually going to come to an end and a job wasn't ever going to um, get spoken about. Um, he eventually <laughs> got his way and um, I started working at an independent um, travel business called Bridge the World where I sort of cut my teeth in travel as it were and, and absolutely loved it. I mean just the, you know, travel was my thing. Um, just enjoyed talking about it. As my first manager called me, he said, uh, we'll just stick Nick in the, he, he said about me rather, he said, we'll stick Nick in the mat room, he'll be like a pig in shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just love the logistics of it all. I love the planning of itineraries and, um, and, and sort of went from there. And it was, it was a really, it was a really interesting time because the internet had just started. I mean, to put things in perspective, this must've been 92, 93. And certainly in the first couple of years working in travel, um, all our inquiries came by fax and there were no, there were, we didn't have email addresses. I remember being shown hotmail before going to Peru um, by the, the tech guy at, at Bridge the World and was just absolutely blown away that I could log into this thing from somewhere and email other people. No one else had it, but it didn't matter. I could do it. Um, but it, it sort of, it, it really did fire off a, a, an interest in, in the technical side of things as well. And um, I quite quickly left there. Um, and set, went about setting up um, my my own uh, online travel business. And don't for a second start to sort of get a, a visual of lastminute.com scale of travel business. It was not. Um, <laughs> but prior to that, actually, one, one interesting thing that had happened was having left the first travel business, having left Bridge the World, I actually got a job working in, in Russia for a short while. I was working for a, an exhibition company and we were putting on a travel show in, in Russia. Um, and I was taken out there to sort of inspect the premises and to, to meet a lot of the key players and so on. And it was a, uh, a real eye opener. And, um, you know, I've, I've since been to Russia a number of times, gone on the Trans-Siberian Express and, and it, it really sort of um, installed an interest in that part of the world for me as well. While I was there, well, mm. as we were going over there, we were all given 9,999 pounds, which was strapped to our body in various places because you weren't allowed to take more than 10,000 pounds in met at the airport by a guy with a briefcase actually handcuffed to his wrist and all those wow. monies were put into the briefcase um, and then unfortunately in, um, while I was there our director of operations was actually assassinated while I was there so it really brought into perspective the um, the uh, the just the, the difference in 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 um, I don't know what the uh, correct term would be but it was a real eye and obviously not yeah. in a, not in a, not in a great way kind of kind of interesting to a 21 year old idiot like me but but at the same time obviously very unfortunate yeah yeah crazy so what and and did you what what was it it was that was travel exhibitions yep was it in in russia that's right yeah so it was it was uh exhibiting to um it was predominantly tourist boards exhibiting um across um uh to russian clients yeah okay so tell me so then it, did you did you move on pretty sharpish from that? <laughs> I imagine that kind of experience, yeah. And I think I left the job the next week. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't entirely my choice, actually, as I remember. I wasn't doing particularly well there, so I I quickly folded back into uh, the the travel industry proper, um, and joined an old colleague of mine who had set up his own travel business, and then we went about setting up our own 
internet-based travel business, roundtheworldflights.com. Very Ron yeah. still does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> and um, it, it was, it, we absolutely smashed it with it, actually. It was fantastic. As I say, it was tiny, tiny budget. We actually sold after a year or so. Um, and um, and in hindsight, I should have just kept the domain name. I've probably sold the domain name now for more than I sold the company at the time. But it was a, it was a really, really fun time. Um, it was a real learning curve. And we, you know, we were the first round the world flight business on, on, on the internet. And um, I think we had projections for year one of something like 500,000 pounds turnover and we, we topped over 2 million in that first year. Um, and I learned a lot about the processes. I learned a lot about, you know, th the websites were very, very basic in those days um, from databases through to, you know, your, your area of expertise, SEO and so on. And actually comparatively to today, it was a lot easier to it was a lot easier to, to, to climb the heights. You know, just a good domain, like, domain name like that on its own guaranteed us number one spot for those early early years. And, and also just the sort of the very simple things that you could do on pages um, to bring in um, suitable traffic and so on made, made life quite easy. And obviously as time went by, businesses like yours became very, very essential because it's, um, it's a world of complexity. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so you sold that quite, quite quickly. What happened? Why? Why did that? Why did that happen? I, I was I was loving it, but I I sort of I'd had this idea for 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 something a little bit more upmarket. I really wanted to get back into Asia. Working in round the world tickets, there is next to no margin. You're working. I was working with a demographic that I loved working with. They were like-minded backpackers. The conversations were wonderful, but it was very hard. You know, whilst the turnover of that first business was good, the the margins were were absolutely terrible. I mean, you would typically make fifty pounds on a round the world ticket. And it is yeah. quite a manual job. You know, there's a lot of date changes and so on that need to be taken into consideration. So it, it really, it, it's, it, its real viability was within another business, which is exactly what we did. So I sold it to another travel business. I became director there for a period of time. And then I'd started to develop this idea f for what ultimately became Selective Asia. Um, I really liked the notion of bringing Backpacket to a slightly more upmarket sector. Um, time poor um and but but still you know fleet of foot and people that wanted to really get under the skin of a country and in my minimal research and i stress the minimal research at the time i was pr pretty much under the impression that i basically invented this thing and so went about designing this the way that that selective asia would work the way that we would um have partners in various countries and so on and it was only after i really got to the end of the deve the development stage of the country and we were pretty close to launching that i came across a number of businesses which today are our key competitors and and in fairness our inspiration as well you know some of the the longer standing travel businesses um audley being the obvious one they they really mm. trod the path for us all and whilst I think we can all find a very significant point of difference within the sector, and I think at Selective Asia we've, we've, we've achieved that, um, it's really important to recognise who were the front runners um, in that because they sort of carved a niche for us all to sort of follow in the wake of. And um, it's, it's a really interesting sector to work in. I enjoy it a great deal. I've got a lot of friends, you know, it's, it's you know, competitors, yes, but also friends, and I, and I really like that, particularly over this last year or so, that, yeah. um, that tightness has been, has been wonderful, and I really hope it's something that we that we managed to retain as we sort of exit out of this, this, uh, this last 20 months. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. They, we'll come on to Selective Asia in a bit more detail in a bit before we do, just looking back over some of the kind of bits that you've mentioned there, going back to like the school thing and the rugby, the rugby thing that must've been a, 
pretty difficult. Like when you you feel like you're sort of heading off to be a professional rugby player and yep. then it's all just stopped in its tracks. Yep. That must have been a, a pretty tricky time. Like what what did you take from that? Like was it a, you you sort of said you just surfed into the like I'm going yeah. around the world, but there must have been a, a tricky bit in the middle. Definitely not surf. I did try that in Bali that year. It's not something I've done again. <laughs> I'm way too tall for that. So I was going to say the rugby player physique yeah. is not necessarily a surfer's lump of a second row on a surfboard. That's not something you need to see. It would make the, it would make a Christmas card, I should think. Um, um, yeah, it, I mean, it was certainly very tough. Um, I've always had an ability to move on reasonably quickly from most things, and that certainly proved the case then. Um, I try not to sort of get too stuck in, in, in the negativity of things. I do try and sort of keep a focus on the what next, the what next. Now, that, that, that's something you have to be a little bit careful about, obviously, because you, you've, got to, you've got to go through the process. There is a mourning process in, in all these sorts of things, and so certainly mm -hmm. there was there. I mean, no better place to sort of get over a, a setback like that than, you know, on the, um, on the beaches of Koh Penang and, um, and traveling, you know, overland across a number of Indonesian islands and so on. So, uh, yeah, I think I sort of struck out and I very quickly started to get this idea of where the next chapter might, might be for me. It was very early professional rugby days then. It's not the same as it was now. And so it wasn't that I sort of felt confident in the sense that I'd be earning, you know, the £100,000 salaries that, that players are today. Um, and there was no guarantee, obviously, of making the cut anyway. I was a, I was an England schoolboy player. I was in the squad, um, and so I was, you know, I was, I was, I was doing very well. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a tough game, um, and you know, injuries happen. And mine came, arguably, at quite a good time in a sense. If it was going to happen, if it happened three years later, it would have been a lot more problematic. I wouldn't yeah. have, um, I wouldn't have taken the decisions that I did. Yeah. And why did you flip to? Well, I say flip. Why did you, why did you do business and geography? What what was what was behind that decision? Because you again, it sounds like you decided that before you went travelling. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, my the degree I was going to do, and I was playing for Wasps at the time, and they had a connection with um, what was then West London Institute of Higher Education, which is quite a mouthful and not exactly a sort of uh, top tier college. It's an exceptional sports college. Um, actually, my final year, it became Brunel University, which was a little bit fortunate for me. So I did sort of step out with a uh, with a um, diploma, which had some, some some merit to it, as it were. But I think I, if I remember correctly, I was doing I was going to be doing sports science and business, and so I just swapped out the sports science yeah. for, for geography going forward. But it was yeah. but it, you know I still was at a very sports orientated college, which I really enjoyed. There was a lot of Olympians there. Bob the the Olympic uh, the UK bobsleigh team were all studying there, for example, a number of. Uh, really, really top rugby players, not so much football, but um, rugby and, and various mm. other sports, canoes and so on. And, 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 and a lot of the, 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 uh, the tutors there were, you know, absolute top of the game. And so it was a really inspiring place to be because I still have a great love for sport. Um, and so it was, you know, I, I enjoyed being in, in that environment. Yeah, I guess when you're like, it often comes up in the kind of entrepreneur side of things where I guess if you're competitive and you've like you have the sporting side those two things are quite similar like you need that well like you said the, the thing to like put things behind you just get on with it yeah like, I quite regularly claim that I'm not competitive but I'm reliably told that I am very <laughs> I'll take that uh, but yeah I think I think you're absolutely right that you do need to have drive um, you do need to have persistence you know I, I always struggle a little bit with the term entrepreneur in truth I, I know a few what I class as entrepreneurs and these are men and women who just 
go all in, chuck everything on one thing, you know, and then they'll jump to another thing, and they jump to another thing, and I love it. I think it's really amazing. That that isn't me, but I do love founding businesses. I've done it a few times now, and I find it really, really exciting. I find it incredibly energizing, and that's massively important. And you know, certainly one of the key takeaways that I've had from from the last however many years it is now, 20, 25 years of doing that is you've got to do it in an area you love. I've, I've, come, I've met people along the way who have spotted an opportunity and probably quite a good opportunity, but it's not in a sector or a sort of to a theme that is actually a passion of theirs. And they've always found it harder going, even if the returns are more immediately rewarding. I mean, people don't tend to go into travel for the money. People go into travel for the love of travel. Um, and and I like to work amongst those people. You know, my the, my team at Selective Asia. You know, they're they I consider them all close friends, even more so those that have you know managed to help us as a company and each other and myself navigate this past 20 months. Um, but they're really inspiring people, and they just love talking about travel. You know, there's it, it, it's a fun environment to be in, and I think you know if everyone can sort of focus on that as a as a sort of a key. Uh, a key target in their working life and I appreciate some of us are luckier than others or we, I would also argue you sort of make your own luck to a certain extent but um, but I think if, if, if it to keep a close eye on that is really really important because it, it just means you know it's not, I don't I don't think everyone would subscribe to you never work a day in your life if you're doing what you love but it makes it easier at least yeah yeah I think yeah I think the yeah the, the word entrepreneur is an interesting one yeah the, what you're saying sounds yeah you're always saying like there needs to be some element, a bit more element of risk in there, and uh, yeah, yeah, throwing it yeah. to the wall, and 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 it might all come crumbling down. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and then they somehow <laughs> dust themselves yeah. off and go for it again. I, yeah, I, mean, I, I, yeah. I find that absolutely inspiring, but I don't know that I've got quite the. Um, I don't think I've got the uh, the uh, blood of steel to to take that. My nerves yeah, will shatter. No. Well, my, yeah, I mean, for me, it was very much like the slow did it alongside work, and yeah only when it was doing well enough that yeah. I could let you know I could go and jump to it and carry on and why was it for you travel what what was it just that travel was a sector that you saw great opportunity or was travel something that you were really interested in no so it started it started because so yeah we Claire and I had uh, done done a lot of traveling I actually wanted to be a writer so I started up my own like travel blog magazine thing uh, that was the the principle the idea for that originally was that I would use it as a portfolio to get writing jobs. And then I started in SEO and essentially like started applying the things that I was learning in SEO to, to that site and it started ranking well. And then I picked up relationships with people in travel and, and things like that and saw what was working in travel and you know it kind of slapped me around the face that I had all this information about the travel sector and the agency I was working at and all the other agencies I knew were all you know all service to all industries and i thought hang on if i set a thing up here that specializes in travel like i enjoy it i'll be looking at travel websites all day long and i'll be able to do a better job better than looking at financial you know industry websites and so on you can't get the same level of enjoyment from it can you garden irrigation and sheds (laughs) and stuff like that which ironically i'd probably quite like now but uh yeah (laughs) uh, yeah at the time it was like very much uh yeah, so it, it felt like a much more interesting day-to-day existence. So, uh, and like you say, you, the more you kind of, that, that was it really. It was just like, oh, this makes sense. So I'll give it a go and see what happens. But then the, the more you get into it, the more you realize, yeah, the people that you work with in travel, 
are great people, yep. particularly like the smaller businesses. It's, it's people who just love what love what they're doing, and that's it's a lot more rewarding to work with people like that where that's their end 100%, goal, yep. rather than you know a marketing manager at a big business that is just purely delivering the thing they have to deliver yep. and yep. Uh, you know chasing about the high level numbers and profit and all that kind of thing, um, which listen obviously they're important things and you've got to have a handle on them, but it's not like the be all and end all of just like get that as big as possible and that's the only thing we're interested in and uh yeah having the people who are properly dialed in and kind of enthusiastic about the the topic themselves makes a makes a big difference yeah absolutely um so the yeah kind of moving on to the i guess segueing that into the starting around the world flights so you what what kind of gave you the initial urge of like shall i do were you always thinking at some point maybe i'll start my own business or yep. Again, was that that kind of idea of it just turned up and it was like, this is too obvious not to do? Why, uh, why I, that I, I was always thinking that. I, I, my, my dad will sort of tell me that it, during the, you know, I guess this would be my very, very early 20s. I'd phone him most weeks with the next idea and right. he would, you know, push it back with one simple question, you know, usually around, well, how's that going to make any money? And it'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course, that won't, <laughs> will it at all? It's useless. Back to the drawing board. But so I, I love travel. I know I wanted to stay in travel. I was sort of, getting an understanding of what the internet could do. I, I was speaking to my former colleague who I was now working for in, in his own travel business. And I really sort of got his mind thinking he was, he was perhaps more focused on that, you know, that really important part that how are we going to monetize this? What are we going to sell? I was looking at it more from a direct directory perspective. We could pull together all these overland operators, for example, and we could create, create a sort of sales portal of some sort and it was between the two of us as I recall that we sort of steered it round to round the world flights he had bought the domain so he was obviously sort of thinking um, uh, perhaps a little bit earlier than I was about some of that flight ticket potential and we 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 got lucky we we got in with the right um, sort of site developers um, who were patient with us and helped us sort of better understand the technicals along the way. Um, and that was a really good schooling for me because it meant, you know, in the very early days, you know, every database that was being built was a new entity. There was nothing sort of go, it's, we want to do it a little bit like that, but we this is our point of difference. We were like, we've got this idea, we're going to sell around the world tickets. So, you know, to, to start the, the business, I loaded in the region of two and a half thousand round the world flight routes into a database, which was laborious to say the least yeah. um, and then every time they updated the ticket rules I had to go back through all of those and if, if you know I was, every destination was a different drop down you know yeah. it was painful and every time they changed the price you know we didn't have that sort of um, unified approach that you have now where you can sort of just go in and sort of change the rules on 15 different pages at once and everything else so yeah I learned the hard way um, but I just found it really really inspiring I love being amongst it and of course that then sort of got me sort of thinking about how I could move on from round the world flights, what I wanted to do within Asia. And this was a time when everything was brochure based. The tour operator market was very five star focused. There wasn't anything for the sort of the mid market as I would class it, two, three star. And it just seemed like an absolute city to me. I knew Asia particularly well and really wanted to be involved in working with Asia. Had aspirations maybe to live out there as well. Never did that in fact, but I get to travel there as often as I do um, or have in the past anyway. So that sort of scratched that itch for me. And so I really approached Selective Asia as, a, as an internet first business 
whereas every other tour operator wasn't there. Now, now most are. That's that's normal now. And I was a part of that first sort of band of companies that came onto the scene. And because it was a one-man band, it was very much a bedroom startup. I, you know, at the innocence of starting these business. I didn't set out to think I want to employ 30 people. I want to have a turnover of this. I thought I want to just do this and, you know, I'll be happy. And so I very much designed the processes within the website around giving clients or visitors to the website everything they needed on the website so by the time they actually picked up the phone or dropped me an email they had actually done a lot of the educating of themselves themselves as opposed to needing yeah. to be doing a lot of that so that meant following the group tour approach to a certain extent which was very much sort of having various itineraries on the website again very normal today absolutely unheard of then no one was doing it and what i also did was break every trip into four different prices so four different categories of hotel and also different number of people traveling so people could quite literally go i want that one and there's yeah. and we'll go in that standard of hotel and that really streamlined things and when i started selective asia about two or three years into it was when the financial crisis first hit and so that was obviously a very you know i remember being absolutely terrified i think by that point um we were a team of three or four and you know i was absolutely terrified by the, the what the impact of that would be and as it turned out it couldn't have gone better for us because we were the we were one of the few companies that were sort of um, offering this type of trip to a lower price range and so you had a right. lot of you previously were five star all the way six star all the way were then coming to us and saying we'll we'll take three mixture of three and four star and saving you know several thousand pounds per person per trip and so that was that was that was very fortunate you know that's just there's there's no skill in that that was just that was good timing but what we had also really done is really focus on the experience this these trips weren't about the hotels as much i mean we very carefully picked the hotels we used and we still do to this day it's a massive part of what we do but actually i'm much more focused as is everyone within the business on the day-to-day -day, what you're actually doing what you're getting to see how you're seeing it as well is so important because if you just mm -hmm. follow if you just follow the trail you just you're in a queue and we don't want that for our clients we want to sort of get them behind the scenes a little bit and so we work very hard at that and then if they've got a great hotel at the end of the day all the better but we're also taking them to places where there isn't a great hotel at the end of the day but also they're prepared for that we we manage expectations you know travel is a huge a huge part of travel is managing expectations because you can say one thing and people are hearing something completely different so really reinforcing you know you've got two nights there and when i say it's basic i mean basic i mean i don't know if you've ever saw michael palin's himalaya series that was a series 20 25 years ago that app, it really inspired me it was very influential for me yeah. and i remember him going to the Rongbok monastery in tibet at the foot of mount everest and i've since been there and i'm delighted to say it hasn't changed from when he was there but you know there are whole you're at you're at five and a half thousand meters above sea level and there are holes in the wall that they've just sort of stuffed loo roll into and you're sleeping <laughs> under really bad chinese made electric blankets which are all slightly damp anyway and they've got electricity coming into them it's quite it's terrifying really you don't sleep well but you wake up to the most unbelievable view you're looking straight up the valley at, at everest and so you know you need to prepare clients for that sort of hotel because you know they you know they were staying in a five-star rack in Lhasa or Beijing or wherever it was previously but I think a lot yeah. of clients really like that they like mixing the rough with the smooth 
Um, you just need to make sure you've got them suitably prepared for how rough rough is. And they're yeah. not all that rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like you say, it's worth it. If, if, oh, you know, yeah. if, if they, if they realise that by going to that place, that's the best experience you can have yep. and that's the best hotel you can have to have that experience. Absolutely, yeah. Suddenly that's a, like you say, it's a no-brainer as long as the yep. flights come in. Um, last, last one on the round-the-world flights side of things. So you, took, you said it, it, you, it, you sold it back to... The, the guy who started so it's within the same company that I had joined yeah it was a little bit so basically I had joined a company called Global Village great great company again independent travel business Simon was one of the directors owners of that business we together started round the world flights he had several partners and then we sold round the world flights into Global Village and I became one of the directors and and a, and a small shareholder in Global Village as part of that as part of that deal okay so what did I guess what were your what would you say were like the key lessons that you took from that and then into selective because yeah. did you start you started selective asia on your own not with the like co-founder correct yeah um i learned a, a huge amount from that i learned a huge amount about not, not how to do things as we all do typically in these sorts of things you know we we, we sold way too quickly we sold way too cheaply in reality we didn't we didn't explore other avenues of solution you know whether the business could really be on its own whether we could bring in the other attributes of the business rather than sell it to a business that already has those other attributes so we sort of rushed that a little bit um i learned a lot about the the sort of the overriding governance of business um i learned that i was a terrible manager of people um i hope that's something i've improved since i didn't do a very good job then and i I put my hands up to that um and i learned a lot about i learned a lot about the tech side of things, you know, I'm, I'm a long way from understanding, you know, the, the deeper side of development and tech, but I sort of understand the surface of it. And that's really, really important in, I think, in almost any business these days. I mean, we're, we're all in one way or another plugging into the internet and it's good to have a sort of a, a grounding of that because you can waste an awful lot of time um, trying to trying to break the mould, trying to do things slightly differently from others. And, there's, it, you know, that's something that I've done many many times over the years and it, it's it seems like a good idea at the time it rarely works out to be the right thing um so to simplify things um and to and i think from that it gave me the confidence to go forward and have a go at this by myself um and you know having confidence is is a huge part of it because you know not everyone has in fact, in fact far from everyone has the appetite to sort of put everything that they have on the line to go and start a business and I had done that the first time around but in the comfort of doing it with others and then I knew it was doing that again on my own and so I, I think uh, Selective Asia was a better launch from the experiences that I'd had of doing that in the company of a, a, a couple of other um, business owners. Yeah so and then tell us a little bit more about just what that process looked like that initial setup how how did that look what did you do what were the first steps well, to sort of gone full circle because here i am in my spare room in my house now <laughs> <laughs> running selective asia <laughs> and that's how it started but in, in, in a different house back back in brixton yeah um i started i was working part-time at Global Village still and work part-time on Selective Asian. Anyone I ever speak to who's thinking about starting a business, that's that's my first bit of advice every time. Don't leave some regular income until you absolutely have to or you've got the confidence of it. It, it always takes longer than you think it's going to take. And you will make bad decisions if you become so financially desperate 
for to get a quick buck out of things. You won't do things the right way. You, you'll take shortcuts, or you'll you know you you just make bad calls. So that that certainly is something I can't remember how long I did that for, but I'm guessing um, it was it was certainly well north of six months. It might have even been the best part of a year. So I was sort of running working both those businesses simultaneously. I pulled on every favor friend etc that I could do you know people I had a great friend Claire who was a copywriter so she was a huge help for me I had friends who were well, the, the, the design my design partner for many many years um, he, he, he was a good friend and he and his business sort of really um, helped out uh, in the early days as well and I sort of took it pretty slowly I got myself out to Asia pretty quickly with a photographer another friend of mine and we shot the most incredible um, uh, stock imagery which we still use to this day and it's really real he and my designer had sort of got their heads together and you know we were we were all pretty bored of you know your forgive me but your Thomas Cook-esque type imagery of perfect turquoise waters beautiful couple with a glass of champagne in their hand that wasn't what we wanted to be about what we wanted to be about was we wanted to see people in situ seeing what we were seeing so um, my um, the photographer Simon Clark he spent he spent five weeks sneaking up behind people who were taking photos of the anchor temples or something like that with this huge lens and getting in there but we really got in amongst it and we you know we we took time we were very respectful obviously of the people we're taking photos of getting into conversations with the amount of people that just wanted to be involved in that and then sort of said yeah by all means just tag along with us for the next hour or so and that was really really good fun and it meant I was making a lot of contacts out there along the way as well not just the tourists but I was spending a lot of time talking to businesses and it was a really exciting time because as I said earlier the travel sector was a bit formulaic frankly it just didn't have the same level of flexibility and innovation that I think it's got today and so that was that was just a really great time to be out there and, and I really enjoyed the whole experience of boots on the ground being amongst it. There I was in my flip flops with a laptop, you know, huge laptop bag on my back zooming around the countryside on a moped. It was it was just a really exciting time. Yeah. Yeah, the imagery thing, that's a great a great kind of tip for people. Because I think even now with all the stock photography that's out there yep. and all the resources, it's still a chief obstacle yep. for people that we work with and websites and yep. you know websites I couldn't agree people. more and it's something you have to keep investing in um, for the last 10 years or so a very very close friend of mine Richard Hansen he's a photographer he he we would typically travel t once a year together maybe once every other year um, and the stock that he's producing for us is just amazing as well it just sets you apart nothing nothing yeah. sells travel and I'm sure other things like imagery you can write all you want no one's reading it half the time but they're looking at the images and the images is what it creates the sort of the stickiness brings them into your world and you know we're, we're certainly starting to develop um, approaches now which mean we're using that imagery much more during the consultation process with clients as well because it's what they want to see they want to they want to get a sense of what they're going to be amongst and you and you just it can't be too polished i guess if yeah, you're yeah. selling the caribbean or something like that that really is what it looks like but the rest of the world doesn't you know yeah. there is very unfortunately huge amounts of debris and plastic on beaches there is battered mopeds in the streets the the street food is delicious but it doesn't necessarily always look that way to the eye it's not and an that's, Instagram that's, plate, that's yeah. what we want to show people <laughs> because that that means that they're they're buying into us for the right reasons as opposed to this sort of slightly manufactured image of ourselves and, and the destinations we work in 
Yeah. And like you throw videography into that now as well yeah. as, a, as an additional thing, yeah. which is so, you know, so important, whether it's for website material or yeah. promotional stuff. We just need smell nicks now, don't we? We smell yeah. vision can't come soon enough for trouble. Because yeah, yeah. when you're looking at a moving still of, a, um, of, a, of someone cooking a bowl of fur on the streets of Vietnam or something like that, you just desperately want to get the waft of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned... Um, kind of when you were starting having the research, doing the, the research and then almost like retrospectively discovering that this thing already existed yep. with people like, like Audley. What was, like, what was the research you were doing? Like, how did you go about uh, forming a plan and how it was all going to web together? And then at what point did you go like, oh, oh, I <laughs> <laughs> oh like that, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I really came at it very I, I sort of I think to put it into context this will this will sort of give you an example I think it was only after about six months of being open that I that I came to terms with the fact that the hotels were really important to people like the actual hotel as opposed to the standard hotel so for the first six months there wasn't a single hotel page on the website and then every time someone did inquire their first question was where am I staying and, yeah. and I sort of quickly thought, ah, yeah, okay, I've got, I've left a hole here. I need to go back and actually do all the <laughs> hotel inspection. So I then went on a very, very, really hard trip through four countries where I, I, I forget the count now, but it was north of a thousand hotels that I saw in, in um, three and a half weeks. It was, it was brutal. Wow. I was broken by the end, but I learned a lot from it. And you, you know, you learn not to take hotels at face value on their websites. And I, in doing so, you learn how not to be presenting hotels on your own website. And it's, mm. a, it's a really important thing. Um, so I had very much come at it from the, uh, I guess, the grassroots level. What I was really focusing on was, you know, I'd been to Laos as a backpacker. These were the things I, was, I enjoyed. How could we make that a little less rough around the edges? How could we bring in the convenience? How could we facilitate comfort? rather than, you know, stay in a backpacker lodge, take a bus to get there and so on. Where do I get a vehicle from to get clients there who are a bit better, better healed? Um, and where would they stay nearby? So I was sort of focusing on, on those sorts of things. So really, which is, which was really great. That was a, that was a huge benefit because otherwise I think what I would have probably done is just sort of, you know, that sort of, I just want to be another one of that company or that company, or that company. Mm. So it sort of, it meant that I was doing things the right way. I was building it appropriately, but I was also the whole time, even with regards to the imagery, like literally we had a, we had a call list for imagery and I knew there was going to be a page about staying in touch, for example. And so we were always looking for quirky local post restaurants or post offices around Asia. And we came back with some amazing stock, which sort of yeah. gave the website a bit of cheek bit of relevance really really clever it's because we had we had the imagery for these pages as we yeah. went around as well as this incredible stock image for other things and we've continued to do this to, to do that sort of same approach to this day um and i think it was when i was finally choosing who my partners were going to be in various countries and that was that was a steep learning curve really steep learning curve so i spent a lot of time in offices in 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 Bangkok and Saigon and so on. I'd gone. I remember clearly. I'd, I I had I had some friends who lived in Bangkok who I'd met on a on another trip once. They were much older than me. And in fact, the guy was um, he was the he was setting up a bank for um, GE in Bangkok. So he was a very senior guy. And he he'd said to me, "Come and stay with us in Bangkok when you're over," which I did. And he'd given me his driver. 
um, and his car for the day to go to these various meetings. And I'd been in this one um, DMC office and they had very much dismissed me out of there totally understandable you know I was absolutely nobody and I'd sort of gone in there stamping my feet a little bit about the, the standards that I expected etc etc and they'd sort of brushed me out and um, I went down in the lift with this guy which was a little bit awkward anyway because it had been reasonably abrupt ending to the meeting and as I stepped as I stepped out of the lift my driver was waiting there with the door to a seven series BMW <laughs> <laughs> open in his arm and this guy desperately tried to drag me back in he thought that he'd sort of really missed an opportunity <laughs> he hadn't uh, um so though, though you know that that sort of stuff you you know again you learn the wrong way to do things and you you sort of you, you need to be realistic about how much you can achieve at each at each stage mm. you're not going to crack the whole nut right right off the bat and i think that's really important you've probably found that along the way with your own business you know we, we've got big eyes people that start businesses typically have got big eyes and we want to do everything yesterday and you just can't you've got to slow down and because yeah. it becomes a huge distraction yeah i i mean the thing yeah for me for other people that i've spoke to on, on the podcast like it, it comes up all the time the take little steps yep. like move yourself in the right direction get things moving you know like you were saying even just the start it alongside work so you don't have to take some yep. giant leap and, and hope for the best yeah like that just consistently comes up over and over again and it's very much one of my like guiding principles is keep keep things getting slightly better all the time and yeah don't worry about that if, if you're doing a giant thing it's probably not the right thing to do probably we, we both work with john and no doubt we'll get into more on john later on but you know that idea of identifying and communicating what you plan to ship this week or ship this month but also mm. what you plan to ship in the next six months so you've got that long-term vision but you're not getting yeah. you're not getting distracted by it now you just keep it you keep it on the periphery and you just yeah. you know that small chunking and you just sort of keep tucking away at it and it's a hard thing to do because you know we're we're all distracted the whole time by what other businesses are doing what other people are doing and we don't want to get left behind but actually yeah. that distraction is is not a positive thing yeah agree agree before we move into the 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 work we've both done with john just give us a quick picture of what the business looked like with the team and, and things before COVID. So yeah, just a brief kind of pricey of that before we move into the changes. So pre-January uh, 2020, we were 32 people, I think it was, uh, based, based in Brighton um, and really, really inspiring team. Um, we were in 19 or 20 countries, I think I'm right in saying. We had been on a, we had been on a bit of a rally with adding new destinations and over the course of the previous four years we had added another seven destinations and we had really sort of put some focus into that and we had also you know poured some investment into we bought enough people in to ensure that we did that correctly we typically always launched one one destination per year and that was one or two people's full-time role to a certain extent or the equivalent of let's say because you know, when if we're going to if we're going to be an Asia specialist and we're going to launch a new destination, we need to be a specialist in destination X as well. And it and it takes time to to do that. And you you're not sending clients out there as guinea pigs. You're the guinea pigs. You've got to go and work out, you know, how to do it, how not to do it, and so on. So we had sort of really scaled up. Um, timing was terrible, unfortunately. So whereas first you know financial crash timing was great. Second time, uh, particularly Brexit timing was terrible. And so we had 
really you know we'd we'd hit it we 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 were we were still sort of head above water but you know the water line was getting close and so we were turning very very small profits and we were sort of you know we'd very much plateaued and we've always had the most incredible team spirit and um you know the, the the values within the business are really strong i think prior to 2019 if i remember correctly two people ever had left the business um, and so, you know, that in itself tells you, but that had sort of become a problem as well in a way, you know, people didn't feel that they could leave the, you know, this, you know, which, which you make a rod for your own back. I mean, I love the fact that people were staying, but at the same time, if people weren't happy, they should be moving on. But I think people were very happy in general, but we certainly had some problems that were not getting addressed. And a lot of that was around this very sort of slowing growth and this lack of opportunity within the business. And again, it's something that that lots of businesses that size suffer from. So I was myself personally struggling a little bit by that point. I didn't feel I had the answers like I used to. I don't didn't feel like I had the touch of the business in the same way. I had very much started to do a much more administratively heavy role. You know, you start a business because you want to be creating this incredible travel and actually typically what happens and this is something you and I have spoken about before typically what happens is you become a manager and then you become a, or you're a managing director and actually so much of your life is, is is focused on the administration and 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 helping other people managing other people and sort of just steering the general direction of the business not really doing the stuff that you you're good at um, and that you're you know hopefully you're good at lots of things but what you know the area that you really want to be working in and so that's sort of how it felt um, come end of 2019, early 2020, um, you know, disaster struck, obviously, um, on a global level, but actually in very early 2020, it struck on an Asian level. And so we saw January, February, March are typically our, our high sale months. That's peak season for sales. It's also just coincidentally peak season for, for departures as well. Um, but we, by the end of January, were in no doubt that things were going to take a, a, a huge tumbling we we didn't have the foresight to see that the that globally we were going to go into lockdowns that we went into and so on but asia itself was definitely going to there was no doubt about that so um 12th of march was the day that vietnam borders shut and then one by one like literally every day another border shut after that but in january sales of asia had absolutely tanked and so as we went into february we were already coming to terms with the fact for the very first time that we were going to need to be making redundancies there was there was clearly going to be a massive massive um stagnation of sales in asia for how long we didn't know but we knew that we had to act very quickly so that was a really challenging time by the time we got to march it was being confirmed around the world. And I think we all started to come to terms by sort of April, May, that these yeah. lockdowns were going to be coming into effect everywhere. Or they actually, in fact, had all come into effect. But by the end of March, I think the whole of Asia was zipped up. They were, you couldn't get into any destinations. Yeah. Um, and here we are in, where are we, the 10th of October, or the 19th of October. Um, and we're just about to have our first departure in 21 months uh, this Thursday. So wow. that's, you know, that's the chalk and cheese of, of uh, Selective Asia. And we're, we, you know, we're a much smaller team, um, but we're a very different team. And it's, you know, this is how we've met. This is, this is where our conversations yeah, yeah, have come yeah. from. And, you know, much as I miss the colleagues that have left um, and what they brought to the businesses and also just their friendship, um, uh, I love the business that I'm part of now because it's just completely transformed. Um, and yeah. I've, just I'm so excited about what we'll do as a business going forward yeah 
you'll be yeah you'll be due a beer on Thursday then when, <laughs> that, when that flight goes out. <laughs> um, so the yeah so like you say we keep referring to John. We're talking about John Barnes, yep. uh, who is a consultant who you worked with initially, and then uh, via our conversations, you then introduced introduced me to him, and we've subsequently subsequently worked with him. Uh, and yeah, I think we'll all agree we're big we're big John fans. Big John so fans, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the tell tell us, yeah, what at what stage did you decide right? This is the thing I'm gonna do, and yep. then give us yeah, tell tell us what what happened, what what the starting point was, how we got. So going. I referred to March earlier, and these borders sort of closing down. Um, we I very quickly identified a small team within the business. This so this is March, 2020 small team, we were all focused on handling getting people home very urgently. And we did some pretty wild and wonderful things, you know, driving, we had people driving clients through the night across Sri Lanka to get to the airport before it closed the next day. We were literally kidnapping one client off a train in India because if he had arrived or they had arrived at the station, they would have been put into quarantine. We were bundling people out of Myanmar, getting them off cruise boats and things like that. It was a crazy, crazy time. Very focused, very energetic. And really weird, and everyone else was on furlough, so there was only eight of us sort of left within the business. And really weirdly, I was still in the office with two other people. Everyone else had moved from home, so you'll remember that. Everyone will remember that. That I mean, just the madness of not only in, in travel, not only we dealing with trying to get people, extracting people from countries very, very quickly. We've got a lot of people wanting to know about their future bookings, but we've also just had to move everyone home as well. So it was it was nuts, but it was kind of fun's not the right word but there was I, I loved the energy to it all and it was it was really inspiring work and that sort of total change of gear it's sort of what I've been waiting for for years in a way just a you know something really different to get my teeth into I think I'm always quite good in a uh, catastrophe um, and so you know they, they don't get much sort of greater than that in business terms um, did, through all of that I started to have ideas of what the business could be going forward and I was quite surprised in myself as to how quickly those things started to form and I think it was this release this sort of understanding that there was absolutely no way we were going to be the same business at the end of this that was very very clear to me we were going to have to let people go there was no option and, and it was going to be a significant count and so I started to sort of just talk about what we could do differently, how we could, how we could shape the business going forward. All the things I hated about, you know, the changes, you know, the way we had grown over the years. We'd lost our nimbleness. We didn't have the fleet of foot that we used to have. And a big part of it was just this rather sort of clunky processes and communication businesses they all do the same thing you build processes on processes on processes and it just gets slower and slower and slower and you people join the business further down the line you can sort of almost read it on their face like, why do you do things that way there's a straight line to that and it's like oh no we go that way because that's you know that's how that's how we do it um and so i started talking about that quite a lot and i was just chatting to a very close friend of mine and she said oh you need to speak to john and i was like who's john Anyway, spoke to John and had a half hour, hour long conversation with John and was just buzzing about it because I was saying, you know, we want to strip the business out. We want to sort of build back up. I want to get people much, much more involved in actually running their own desk, running the business themselves. This is not a one man job anymore. And I just had all these sort of dreams of, of, of the way that we could restructure things. And John just said, yeah, that's what I do. But you don't need me. You're saying it all yourself. And I said, no, I do because I need it to happen. 
and I'm just really fortunate to have met John at, at that time because he came in very early on and just sort of start. You know, we're all we're all working remotely, obviously, so he just started sort of working amongst us. And I think what was so important, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this. What was so important to John coming in a consultancy basis, helping us strip back completely, and bear in mind we're at a time where there is zero business, so it's perfect. It's not ideal in the sense that you haven't got any money coming in, but we, we come to terms with that. We weren't going to make any money for quite a long time. The hamster wheel had stopped turning. We weren't chasing money each month, chasing sales each month, trying to break even, trying to make a profit. We were, we were looking much more at focusing on how we can redesign the business, how we can build back up. And the way you have to do that is strip right down and then bit by bit build back up. And to do that as a self-organizing entity, which is what, we, what we've now become, you need to empower people to, and you need to help them and coach them and, and teach them how to take ownership of these things themselves. And that's what, that's what John did. And it's so important that it's John that did it because A, I wouldn't have had the expertise, not by a long shot to do it anyway. I had some ideas, but I didn't know how to deliver it. But also I think having someone from outside the business coming in and teaching you how to do it rather than your boss saying, oh, I now want you to stop thinking of me as boss and start thinking of each of your colleagues as and myself as equals and stuff like that. It's not going to yeah. work. Yeah, agree. Yeah, no, I, I certainly I found uh, having a third party being the person who was explaining this stuff because, you know, I've had it, you know, as, as, as I'm sure you know, it's like you're constantly trying to learn stuff yourself and just be one step ahead of the game and then, you know, rarely are you in a place that you can teach those things to other people in in this you know a kind of in-depth and uh informative way as as you would like whereas when you have that other person there they they do have that knowledge and expertise so when questions come up he's got the answer to them and he can explain like okay that's a really good question but here's why that's not the case or here's why we're doing that particular thing and ev and everyone gets on board with that versus like you say again it's just uh, that if the top down, John says this, John said this to me a few times of the like top down kind of being uh, dictatorial about demo democracy. Like it's like, yeah, I'm telling you all, you have to be democratic. Yeah, you've got to be democratic exactly. <laughs> because I yeah, say so. Because I'm um, telling you exactly. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't work. So it's 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 such an intricate and complex thing. But John, John, and I'm sure there are others like John, but John makes it so straightforward and, and people buy into him very, very early on because it's a really hard thing to get your head around initially. So, you know, stop asking permission. You don't need to be asking permission and, and, and actually sort of looking at each other in, a, in across the team. We, so, I mean, one of the very early things that we did, and, and I think it's fair to say of all John's clients, we've sort of gone more all in than, than most or if not any. Because we didn't have any sales to worry about, as it were, we were just handling existing clients and doing that to the best of our ability in some very difficult circumstances. Because, because of that, John was able to come in, we stripped out all departments, removed all titles, and identified, as in everyone within the business, identified areas of the business that they felt needed improving, they that felt needing addressing. So we start working on those. People are putting their hands up for the areas that they want to work in. And it's not me and everything. And, and one thing I sort of didn't address early on with um, prior to, you know, um, starting to work with John and prior to the pandemic was there is no question that m my participation within the business 
was clogging up the business. Everything came mm -hmm. through me. Um, and that's just how it had always been. You know, we'd started as one person, two people, three people, four people, five people. So the decision, the final decision always sat with me and it was so ineffective and it wasn't good mm. for me either because it meant that, you know, I'm not always making the best decisions, not by a long shot. Um, and also everything gets, gets stuck with me. There's so much stuff coming over my desk that it just clogs up and, and it, it means that you're not getting, you're not letting the, 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 the business flow properly. So John coming in and helping people understand a structure that didn't have me as a blocker was really really important and what I found really interesting was I, I totally accept that you know prior to the pandemic I, I was I was a, a very controlling person in the business terms and I think people would probably say on personal you know terms you know personal way sometimes as well that was sort of how I felt the business was best was best run I now absolutely recognize that isn't the case. And I found it incredibly easy to let go. Um, really surprisingly so. It, it, I, I enjoyed it. I loved letting go. Um, and that is, you, there is no alternative. You can't be the business owner and move towards a self-organizing or an adaptive sort of structure and not release. There can't be an underlying objective yeah. it, you can't be sneaky about no, no. It. it it doesn't work and i've and i've really loved that it's it's uh great sorry for the dog in the background there <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> um, and 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 everyone's loved loved the empowerment as well and they've and they've and they've absolutely flourished in it i mean yeah you know i, I know you've seen the video that, that john shot with us but I th you know i said at one point how much you know everyone is buzzing about it and it's not an exaggeration even on tough days people are buzzing about it it doesn't mean it comes without its problems well, it yeah. doesn't come without it from it absolutely does nothing's perfect but we we're now 15 people driving a business forward as opposed to 14 getting a bit frustrated that what they've asked me to take care of isn't getting taken care of quickly enough yeah the the um, yeah i'll link to the stuff in the in the notes of the show so that they can see the case study and things like and things like that Nick. so um because yeah i think it's well worth it's well worth watching that to see yep. the impact from yeah not just our perspective of how we're talking about it but yeah. to see your team and there wasn't it, a gun pointing at them from slightly yeah. out of camera shot <laughs> i promise you i wasn't even yeah. in the room <laughs> yeah interesting i was talking to john about it and he was saying how someone one of the team said something uh, on the video that it was it was clearly one of his like favorite bits of it and he said it was like it wasn't a rehearsed thing. It was clear she was like having. You can see it in her eyes that she's like having this realization yeah. as she's talking. You know, she's talking. Like yeah. It's it, yeah. It's a great. It's a great thing to watch. The the yeah. The, I think the point of the like that was the reason I like took to it so quickly as well because I was absolutely in the same position as you. Like I felt like the bottleneck. I felt like I was stopping good things from happening. Yep. Like control was my thing, and I felt I recognized that I needed to let go of that, but I needed someone to help me to do it in the right way i think it's worth you sharing how how you did that because i think that's absolutely brilliant what, what... <laughs> <laughs> well we um so so yeah i guess we the the way that feeds into us you had been you you got in touch with me after i'd announced the like 100 percent and the profit giving stuff that yep. where that we started in april and obviously we kind of had a, had a chat that, to talk about that. And then you mentioned the stuff with John and that the penny just dropped immediately mm -hmm. for me there. And I thought, I'm going to go and look at this. I read a bit of John's stuff. He had a free course that you could do. So I got into that. And basically from sending him an email saying, hi, John, one day it'd be nice to have a chat if you're free at some point. I, I, I 
probably emailed him two days later and said, no, no, we need to talk. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you free tomorrow? There's like, emergency let's do this. to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, need to, we need to go. Um, so, and then he came on and yeah, we did, we'll come on to some of the specific stuff uh, from your perspective because, because there's a lot of crossover in it, but we did a bit of work with him for maybe a month and one of the things that John said to me uh, early on was, how long have you been away from the business uh, since you started it 10 years ago? What's the longest that you've not been involved in stuff? And yeah, my, I sort of whimpered like a week maybe yeah. to him. And it was like a week where I'm still checking emails and probably still sticking my oar in from time to time. So even him just asking that question kind of, again, and the penny dropped a little bit and I was like, bloody hell, that's not, yeah, that's that's not enough. Yeah. this thing. That's not, that, that is not the reason um and so he said how you know how would it feel to not be there for a month like what what how what would that what would happen what would that be like and yeah I just sat on it for a bit and yeah I think I'd reached that point because again it come through like all the pandemic stuff yeah. things were you know we were lucky that we could pivot into different areas and, and sectors and things to, to offset the, the travel side of things but yes it had been super super difficult and I'd kind of reached a point of malaise where I was just like oh, I don't know I can't keep doing this same thing at this at this pace yeah. and intensity so I was looking for, for for a change and yeah I just thought that sounds good yeah, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to do the, that the, the extremeness of it is absolutely brilliant because as you say you you have been able to pivot into something else and therefore the business was keeping going my my escape as it were was because there is no sales. And so me just yeah. accepting that, that's actually done what you being away from the business for a month has done. So it's just two different methods. But I yeah. think his insight into that is really, really interesting because you do need to trigger a, 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 a very significant change. You can't drip into it. it, it it's, it's a very, you know, you are definitely turning left now. You're not going that way. Yeah, anymore. yeah. And, and he, um, you know, we did, obviously it wasn't just kind of, a, you know, this isn't something I'd recommend to everyone, just like, yeah, walk out your business for a month and see what happens, like, and it'll all come back and be, be smelling of roses. Like, we did, we'd worked on a lot of stuff over, you know, I'd worked with a, a, another coach who was really fantastic before that, and we'd been doing lots of stuff around yeah. processes and systems and things. Uh, like you say, I think there's like a, a point of, you need enough processes that people know they have a gu- they have their guidelines, but then you want to stop before they become uh, too absolutely. entrenched. Absolutely, I wrote an article for Corporate Rebels, um, which anyone listening to this, um, if anyone is out there, um, it, it, um, Corporate Rebels is a great website. If, if this sort of area of, of business interests you, Corporate Rebels is absolutely something to tap into. And I wrote an article um, for them, and I spoke about the need to do the foundation work. There is a temptation with self-organising and adaptiveness to just sort of see the headlines and you know the company that pays everyone X amount or you know, the company where holiday is unlimited, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That that's that's not what it's all about. I mean, you might get to that. You may, you may not. You may not feel it's necessary, but it's about the foundation work. It's about it's about ripping out old hierarchy, old departmental stuff. And you can't necessarily, not every business is, is suited to going the whole hog, some more than others, and not every, not all people are either. Some people won't, I've, I know from speaking with John, he works with several businesses where there are people there that don't buy into it. You know, some people do and some people don't. You've got to be really respectful of that because it isn't necessarily for everyone. I think the, the desperate situation we found ourselves in gave everyone in, within Selective Asia reason to go all in. And that included myself. And uh, but but when you go all in, you f- you build up from the bottom. You don't sort of come in halfway, 
halfway up and leave bad old foundations in there because if yeah. you do it won't work yeah the to, to just i guess to backtrack and just give people the sort of headline we you know when when i first started talking about this it was it was i was kind of talking about like agile working yep. and, and talking about that and i guess the more i've gone into it the more i feel like that doesn't necessarily tell the full story i feel like that people think of like you know scrums and you know team masters yep. and all, all these kind of things and i feel like that's part of it but then there's like a it's like a bigger yeah. umbrella of like mentality in the business that's, and, and things that's like it. that agility sort of almost a sort of a, a behavior within the business i think as, as, as i understand mm. agility and i'm not positive that i do understand it fully but it's sort of part of your processes and, but yeah. the holacracy is a little bit closer perhaps to to the what what where we've steered to, but I would say we have a lot less set structure than yeah. holacracy, I think, demands, as I understand it. Again, adaptiveness yeah. is what we typically call it, but I've been pulled up on that by um, one of my copywriters, Susie, who said, look, I know you're loving talking about this. No one has the first idea what you're talking about. Yeah, Try self, yeah. self-organizing. self It's like, yeah, no, that sort of does make sense. Yeah, no, well, I was going to, that, that's literally one of the things I've written down is like, what do we yeah. what do? what do we call it? Like, what is it? I've adaptive is the word that I've yep. then started steering to, but I think you're right. Like the, the two things that come up when, when we're discussing this uh, often is like self-organizing and self-managed. Yep. So essentially it's, you're creating a team where there is no hierarchy, yep. where there is no boss that things go to, to get signed off, yep. but within your pockets, within the team the sign-off kind of happens at a peer-to-peer level that's, so people that's, come up with that's exactly it you get rid of the stodgy middle as well so you get rid of the blockage at the top of the business in our case me and you get rid of the sort of the stodgy middle of you know supervisory managerial call it what you will previously you've sort of not understood how business can work without that and the only way that it does work is that if everyone is fully empowered and fully understands the the, the flexibility of their role. So to give you an example, a really easy one, if you want to take a day's holiday, you look at who else is out that day and you either just take a day's holiday and mark yourself up for it, or if there's already one person out or two people or whatever that number is that sort of makes it a bit, should I, shouldn't I? You just ask two colleagues, what do you think? And it doesn't need to be a manager, it just you need to ask a colleague that might be directly affected by you taking that day out. But for that to work, those colleagues need to be able to say no. Mm. They need to understand, you know, feel, 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 sort of uh, authorized, if you like, or, or or the ability to say no. Because we'll all typically say yeah. yes to colleagues. We like helping each other out. But if you can yeah. see that that's going to be to the detriment of the business, you need you, you've got to say no back. So there's little intricacies to it. But you don't yeah. need a you don't need a holiday monitor, as, as as Lucy, my colleague, who sort of HR would say. I said I don't need to be a holiday <laughs> monitor anymore. And of course, she's absolutely right. But also, we've designed some uh, much bigger examples of that. So we have, if you want to introduce, if you want to update or introduce a new policy, major policy of the business, then we've got a structure for you for for anyone within the business to propose it. They then choose a team of three to work with on it and those three need to really ask the tough questions as it were about well no that that isn't and we've got we've got various things is it in the interest of uh the clients is it in interest of the business is it in the interest of us and if you can say yes to those three things then it's a yes that policy stands and it and and very rarely should it require me coming in and going no actually i'm going to overrule that for some reason but we sort of leave that door open um just in case 
as it were, yeah. for the for the trial period. And those sorts of structures within the business are vital. We've got we've taken away any sort of top down reviews within the business. We now have peer to peer reviews, uh, which we haven't actually started yet, where we've designed the process. So each year you will have two peers that do your annual review for you and you'll likewise do them back. And again, it requires training for everyone because you're sort of putting everyone in a position where saying, yeah, you're doing great when there is actually something to sort of pick up, up and try and improve. You're not doing anyone any favors and, and it's going to, it's going to lower the standards of the business. So helping everyone develop the ability to have those conversations, which aren't easy things. It's one of the mad things about promotion, isn't it? You promote the people that perform best within the business. And more often than not, they're not the right person for the promotion. They're a brilliant yeah, salesperson. Yeah. doesn't mean they're going to be a brilliant sales manager. And maybe they yeah. don't even want to be sales manager, but they would just like the money and maybe the kudos. Um, so it's, it's rethinking that whole that whole sort of structural basis of a business and ensuring mm. that everyone gets to participate in areas of the business that they want to be involved in, that they get to upskill in, in a controlled way. So you don't just let people run wild with, you yeah. know, I want to be involved in marketing and I'm going to be a marketeer now. You know, there is, you know, it, you learn to be a marketeer, like you learn to, like you learn to sell travel, like you learn to do SEO. And so it's just piece by piece, you need to start adding on to this. And I think it will be a journey. And I really love this fact. I think it will be a journey will be on forever. Because, th and that's what makes it so exciting. Because, you know, John, John's eyes light up, my eyes light up. It's like, well, what can we do next? And it's, you're not doing it for the gimmick. You're doing it because it's like, well, how far can we push the envelope in that direction that's going to still be in the benefit of the client, be to the benefit of the business and be to the benefit of everyone within the business? Yeah, I think the, like the point on the training is like, is a really important one. Because, uh, yeah, it, again, like with the go off for a month kind of thing, it's like this thing is a is a difficult thing to do like it's not every everyone is not set right. like like wired in a way that it makes sense to them uh yet yeah, the having giving people the tools to work in that particular way is is super important and yeah like like i said from my personal perspective when i'm trying to pick these things up it's like oh God, I don't know what to do next. I don't know the answer to that question. Yep. And it's the same for all the members of the team. It's like, all oh, right, okay, we're doing this new thing now where we're supposed to kind of peer-to-peer -peer review things. But if you haven't set them up with the skill set to, to go to, you know, almost like have a tough conversation yep. or give negative feedback or whatever it might be, then you're almost just like chucking them out to see. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. See how and, get it, on. and it's going to fall <laughs> apart. So yeah. um, Lucy, who used to be the HR within the business is now sales sales performance supervisor and uh, trainer i forget the exact um, the exact title apologies but and and that's really important it's to have someone within the business there are no titles John. Uh, oh yes yeah, sorry <laughs> yeah we're gonna have to stop that <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's it's um but but the, the we don't have hr in the way we used to have hr it's a very very different skill set required now to do to do what she's doing and it's getting amongst people and being there to help people to, to sort of hold us together in a way. So she will work in lots of different areas of the business, same as all of us. So she's working on B Corp. We're under assessment for, for B Corp at the moment, and that's going really well. And that's changed a whole load of things structurally within the business. Um, and But she's also there to sort of help. She's there in place of John day to day 
to be the glue that keeps the steering along. So one thing that she'll be doing from next month, for example, is she'll be dropping in on various project meetings that people are attending and so on, just to make sure that we keep the shape of the meeting, because that's really important. A little bit like the agile working process is there are certain things you have to do in order for it for the for the process to work overall and it's all about the openness of the communication it's about sticking to standing items it's about keeping things you know the the, the clock running smoothly so that you know what should be an hour meeting becomes three hours and eats into everyone's day and now they don't really want to do that meeting so much anymore so those little details are absolutely vital uh, but it, it's it's an amazing thing to say but we are a I mean, a vastly better communicated business than we ever were before. And we're all working remotely still. We're not in the yeah, same yeah. office. And we were a yeah. very, we were an open plan office. Everyone spoke to each other the entire time. There were no closed doors. That was one of the policies that we had before. But everyone knows everything now because, you know, we're using the technology correctly. We're using Slack um, rather than the silos that emails create. And we, everyone trusts everyone that there are no secrets. And, you know, if the, we have we had one channel, which is a private channel, and it was around the time of having to make redundancies and so on. And obviously, there's some very delicate stuff that needs to be talked about then. But we kept that redundancy process as open as we possibly could. You know, we it was very, you know, we, we, the, the, we were very clear with the, the processes that we were using to make the selection, how we were going to be going about it, when we would be giving results and so on, and the considerations that were being taken. And, you know, the, the only thing that we had to have was, you know, financials bouncing around and things like that. And that's not something that would have been appropriate to be sharing openly with everyone. But what was important about that is we explained to everyone that that's why that channel was private. So yeah. there's no suspicion. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, so I, from, from our perspective, I think like the two, because listen, there's loads of great things and examples you're talking about there. I keep thinking like, how can we make, to, to someone who's not familiar with it, how can we break it down into something that's very understandable, like day to day as to what's happening? And I think for us, the like two big things that have changed have been Slack instead of email uh, and every, everything being open. And the other one being the like team meeting format that we do where we have a like fortnightly meeting that is what you were touching on sounded like the policy kind of thing, uh, uh, Nick, where I've got just jolly my head now, just ringing. Um, the, the, um, yeah, the, the, pro, the, the policy idea of where for us, it's like people just bring suggestions to that meeting. Yeah. They propose them. The rest of the team listens to them and everyone votes on whether they think it's a, a safe to try yeah. is the phrase. Safe to try. Like, really important. Yeah. And, and, and those really, I think in terms of the, specific things that happen regularly yep. are really the, the two main things like there's lots of random training that we've done like i say on listening better and uh yeah my own folk you know we've done like a feedback session for specifically focused on me which yep. i think you've, you've also done yep. that we'll come on to but those i think those two things are really like the core changes that we've made that seem relatively yeah. small but then they've had such a yeah. massive the, impact the way that the slack empowers everybody within the business all channels need to be open you need to very very carefully manage your notifications so that you're not being bleep 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 throughout the day as everyone's posting anything about something that you, you might want to check in at another time but but you can look at it if you do choose to but but what it does is it allows small projects so meetings to to take place and the regularity of those meetings are really important um, that take place without everyone being 
involved or certainly without you know what used to be you know the the md or the manager or the directors being you know being involved it's like those three people they're taking care of our b corp assessment they will call me in when they need a signature on something or when they when they would like some advice on an area that they feel i may have some 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 you know greater experience with or whatever it may be and that's really that's really important um i think that constant open communication that takes time to get through to people and to sort of trust it and I remember really clearly just one of my team after about six months of working with John there was still a suspicion in him not in a, not in a negative way but he just was like what's the catch here is this something's not quite right why is Nick <laughs> letting this happen and I just I can't remember exactly what the circumstances were but I remember very close to Christmas he just was a different person in a meeting and he was leaning forward and he was he was fully on board and I just said it pennies dropped isn't it and he went yeah, yeah. got it and he yeah. just took a little bit longer to get it and, di and yeah. different you know I had pe people on day one were like yeah this is what we've been waiting for all our lives and I was like I didn't know about this you know this was this this is off my radar yeah, um, and yeah. other people that sort of dripped in at various different times I think one of the areas that we've started to find problems because it isn't without its problems and I think that's really important you know we we get very excited and animated when we talk about this stuff because we're, we're feeling the benefit of, mm. of this empowerment across the business and this the, the space that it gives you no doubt and certainly I know the space that it gives me to focus in other areas of the business as a opposed to organizing when you know you don't need to have someone organizing a rotor for for a sales team to be answering the phone they can just work it out themselves it doesn't yeah. need governing um, um, but one of the areas that we've sort of hit bumps with I think there is a and it's a confidence thing sometimes some of the decisions that people are asking people others to make or the conversations that they're, they're being too democratic and it's like and 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 it's this sort of sense of, well, you know, we voted seven to six, so we'll go with that. Look, well, we're voting seven to six. No one's actually that happy because you've probably modified it a little bit to get the seven votes and stuff like that. What you need is just one person going, yeah, it's safe to try and, and give it a go and trial it. But, but in its purest form, whatever that sort of decision may be, whatever it is you're shipping that day. And that's something that needs further modification because otherwise you just become a little bit... Um, middle ground on everything yeah. in order to try and keep everyone happy and that's not what this is about I, yeah i think the um so the like the makeup of the team is very important and uh you, you know again like there's people who will love this way of working and then there's people who will just be like please just tell me what to do yep. like uh, this is not for me like i just want to be i want to have that manager that tells me yep. what to do and i just do it and i go home and forget about yep. it and, and there is get, nothing know, wrong that's with that it. that's and that's absolutely yeah. fine that is absolutely fine um but i think like getting you know this is where the like momentum i think rolls over time is when you've made this change you are sort of parachuting people into it and almost like forcing them yep. them into it and i you know certainly from our point of view we've been super fortunate like everyone's really hopped on board with it and been been fantastic um it sounds like they have from from your yeah, side too yeah. um but then i guess you, you know you touched on earlier about the team and how the team's always been so bought in like hiring people for this kind of thing as time goes on and hopefully you know hiring as we know isn't necessarily always the right answer but uh you know how how have you got the right kind of people over the years whether that's like pre what we're doing now and then like if, if you know obviously it, was, it becomes an even more important thing when you've got this I'd love to say that you know we hired people for their their values and 
and you know the, their, their fit into the culture and I think in part we did but we were always looking at travel experience as well I, I mm. totally buy into this sort of the you know a lot of you know I've read in a few places recently this sort of point of you can teach everyone to all the skills you just need people that fit into your culture and I, I couldn't agree with that more I think we've got lucky a little bit over the years we've also had a very very good um uh process um and led led by someone who unfortunately isn't in the business anymore but he was very very strong at, at, at recruitment side of things he had come from a recruitment background as it happens but he was very thorough in that sort of side of things we, we got some wrong as well some people that didn't necessarily quite fit the culture quite as well but what we had is everyone working in the business is a lover of travel and that is almost a foundation in itself we have more recently done a lot of work on our purpose and our values and so on which isn't something we've given enough time to before. I've always thought we're a very values-led business, but actually if you had asked everyone what our values are, they'd have gone, oh, I just sort of feel it. If, you know, I sort yeah. of, they, they wouldn't have had, they, they wouldn't have coordinated answers. And I think we do have that now. Um, so a certain amount of luck is, is in truth, a certain like of, you know, people referring friends and so on, coming into the business is always a great way to go about finding the right people and, and finding people that are committed to, to creating great travel. That in itself is a, you know, a value of sorts, I suppose, that people, you know, people want to be working alongside others that are, you know, putting the extra, putting the extra mile to, to yeah. get that really, you know, bang on travel experience as opposed to just shortcut we've never been about just making sales that's not you know that's not what we're that's not what we're about we're about you know we, we, we want client contentment ahead of pounds and dollars that's that's certainly yeah, at the yeah. heart of what we do we like some pounds I'm, and dollars as well they're quite useful. yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. so yeah it's, it's a nice thing like i so this was like one of the other kind of key things i'm conscious of time so i think like if we move on from the adaptive stuff like some a few quick things that I think people might enjoy reading if they want to find out more there's a book by a guy called Ricardo Semler yep. uh, about his company Semco yep. it's a massive company in Brazil that did it called Maverick uh, I absolutely love that um, the Netflix book by Reed Hastings No Rules Rules talks about them and they do this kind of freedom and responsibility thing which ties in very nicely to this and yeah if you go to John's uh, John Barnes's site then then there's lots of great yeah, stuff on John Barnes Cor not me Corporate. isn't it J-O-N Barnes yeah, yeah, there's yeah. also a great um, book that I found very inspiring at the beginning of before I even sort of met with John called um, Small Giants which is which is okay. really interesting yeah nice um, I've got that bookmark yeah. actually so I'll move it I'll move it up the you list, move it up the list uh, yeah yeah um, so yeah going, going into the yeah like, I guess like the mission the purpose side of things Tell us, tell us what that is, Nick. Like you say, you've spent a bit of time on it. What, what is that? How does it like manifest itself in the in the business? We well, I suppose it really sort of stems from. I mean, we 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 formed a project which involved four people, and so as a collective, we 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 worked through rather than just you know sort of bringing in an agency to tell us what our values are and and, and stuff. We we did that work ourselves, and we pulled in the remainder of the company at various stages to sort of contribute feedback on what we were saying. And so on, but it, it, it primarily is sort of you know ensuring that we all completely understand where our priorities lie. We are a much smaller business now; we're half the size, and in fact, at the moment, we're half the size, and we're we're working limited hours as well. We're not all back full time. Not in fact, none of us are. Um, so, you know, we we need to sort of think differently about what we do, and I think we've said yes far too often in the past. You know, we had grown quite quickly. We had a lot of success, but in the in the you know the the, the last three, four years, this plateauing had happened, and we, there was a tendency just, just to, um, you know, just even if it wasn't really quite our sort of travel, we'd, we'd do it, and we don't want to be doing that anymore. We want to be much truer to ourselves. We absolutely want to be more 
true to our sort of commitments to sustainability that's very important to us um is a, as i sort of quoted earlier you know putting client contentment before pounds and dollars is, is is also important to us but pushing back a little bit saying no to the stuff that that, that we shouldn't be doing or we don't want to be doing rather than just sort of feeling compelled to just you know to to, to make the bottom line add up um that that's a key part of key part of it and you know big part of the purpose is actually we, we, we like the idea of staying small now and over the last year we've des redesigned a lot of our processes we've been doing a lot of that's been sort of focused around some of the technology as well but also the 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 training within team and so on but we 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 really like the idea of sort of staying at a smaller size maximizing our returns on on fewer bookings um i've very recently issued share options to everyone within the business so they are now you know of sorts shareholders of the business 25 percent of the business they they now have or they have emi share options of and we're looking at a profit share process which will mean that everyone's much more directly invested at that top level decision making because you know we all want an extra pair of hands alongside us but do you want that at the detriment of what you might take home at the end of the year because these are the decisions that that me as a business owner has always had to make and i think it's really important that everyone sees that through the same eyes because it may well be that that is the right decision you know we don't want to be sort of start you know overstretching ourselves we want to be making sure that we've built into our processes and our basic sort of mathematical foundation for want of a better term that we can take care of every client to the best of our ability so we've really done we've done a lot of work around that as well understanding how long making a great booking takes and then looking at how much money we need to make each year in order to be profitable and for people to everyone within the business to be going home with a nice amount of money in their pocket a reward you know a fair reward for the work that they're doing um, and so we're really breaking that down and getting getting into the guts of it which again as you grow as a business you don't typically do um, you don't have the time for you just desperately sort of jumping onto one thing to the next so again you know i wouldn't wish this pandemic on anyone again obviously for for so many different reasons i definitely wouldn't want it as a business again but i'm not entirely sad that it happened to us because it has allowed us to really step back and readdress a lot of fundamental problems within the business and i think yeah. looking forward those that remain in the business we're all equally inspired about the potential of what we may do loads of challenges still to come i know you know that there's sort of a, there's a tendency to feel that you know as countries now reopen travel is fixed it's it's just not it's massively problematic the you know the the next phase of what's gonna you know the, the future of travel i think sustainability will stick i think it will stop being a sort of part of the marketing campaign and actually be part of the fundamentals of a business which is wonderful that's great i think we're going to have a huge problem over the next year or two with logistical challenges overseas because you know guides have left the industry we've lost the, the talent drain is humongous you know just right down to sort of the you know what hotels are still retaining those same standards the people that are working in all areas of, of tourism and you've got two years of postponed bookings building up that are just absolutely desperate to get out there understandably we all need to take a bit of a reality check on that and that this starts with the operators themselves it's not maximize return straight away we know that we you know we need to build up our financials again you know every travel business has lost fortunes these these past um these, these past 21 months so you know we're very wary of that we're very aware of the fact that our partners and 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 all stakeholders overseas desperately need income back in there as well but we got and and the clients you know really want to get back out there and we want to we want our clients to get back out there 
but we've all got to take a certain amount of responsibility for not doing that too quickly yeah. because you know we're speaking to lots of clients who have got 10 you know not 10 trips sorry excuse me five trips postponed i spoke to someone last week who has got five percent trip you can't take all those trips this year yeah you know yeah. The, it's it will split at the seams we need to just drip feedback in um, yeah. and we, we we're very mindful of that and i know a lot of other travel companies are as well i'm not sort of suggesting that the travel industry is acting irresponsibly but i think overall we need to just we need to take baby steps and wait for those yeah. strides to get a little bit longer yeah yeah one of the things that uh i think stands out on on the website when you're talking about it was when you talk about like the definition of success yep. and yeah like i guess if you ask most people like who are the successful people or what is the success it's the big businesses yep. it's the big profits it's the billionaires and that kind of thing whereas when you're talking about it you talk about your satisfaction yep. our happiness yep. social responsibilities these things yeah. over the, you know, I think you said before, valuing client contentment over over the pounds yeah. that, that come in from it. Like they're pretty kind of critical things. And to be fair, they, like they map over to, to us a lot as well when I'm reading those things. And it's almost like the, you know, the, the pandemic thing, the penny that dropped for me was the, like, I think I realized I valued stability over growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what you're doing with 100% profit is, is, is just, it's what made me sort of pick up the, uh, the, the phone to you in the first place. I think it's absolutely inspiring. And, it, and, it's, and it's exactly right. Because it doesn't mean you can't be a successful business. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not threatening people's jobs or anything like that. Because, you know, we all understand everyone recognizes that businesses have to make a certain amount of money, but it can't be at the cost of the environment. It can't be at the cost of client satisfaction. It can't be at the cost of your suppliers and your colleagues and, you know, and, and their happiness as well. That has to balance out. It isn't, I think we've, we've all in the past fallen, you know, guilty of this thing of, that success is defined by a number on a spreadsheet and it's just mm. not that's one of the things it's not to be forgotten we won't be here if we forget that too quickly but you've got to look at those it's four or five items isn't it that have all got to sort of be living you know in balance with each other because that's what makes us happy being involved in those businesses it's what we set out to do in the first place most of us you know we didn't all set out to sort of make gazillions and, and, and retire at 30 there are some that do that and that's fine that's up to them but it's not why not why i do what i do and it's not and i know it's not why you do what you do and it's not why people joined our businesses and and are as committed and, and are inspired by the changes that you and i are both making at the moment they're in that because they 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 want they want a balance to life and work-life balance is obviously part of that as, as well yeah 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 i think it's great I'd, uh yeah it's worth it's worth a look for anyone who's uh yeah i think that like you say you've clearly spent time on it and if you go and look at that page on the website that talks about your purpose and values yep. i think it gets it gets that stuff across really, oh great really that's nice good to hear stuff. thanks um the t tell us are, are there any other kind of we've talked we've mentioned a few kind of books and resources and things there uh nick are there any other like businesses causes people that inspire you that you know that have kind of helped along the way or historically um yeah i'm not gonna think of a single individual one i mean lots of books i read absolutely stacks around this sort of stuff and it's what sort of helped me spring forward with with uh with the change when we started introducing it last November, I sort of uh, last June, sorry, when we started in working with John last June, and it's because I'd sort of looked on with envy or read with envy about all these other businesses and so on. So I, I'd always recommend read read widely around these subjects. Look for those doing things a little bit different. L Small Giants is definitely one of those books for me that sort of opened my eyes to the fact that there are different ways. Um, 
and and just keeping the conversation going you know you you know our conversations i find really inspiring because you're bouncing ideas back at me this conversation itself is really inspiring you know so just just talking widely i love looking at you know from a brand perspective i think it's really important to be looking and, and noting you know making a mental note that brand inspires me what's it doing that makes you know because sometimes it can be really subjective but sometimes it can sort of just float under the surface and i think taking some time to unpick what what draws you to that brand is a really important thing um and i and i find a lot of um i've, I've sort of created or not i haven't created i'm, I'm part of now sorry a, a really nice little group of of um independent uh sme travel businesses and we speak very openly with each other and i think finding like you know like businesses that you can have very frank and open conversations with and that you share as much as you're asking to be shared with you is hugely important uh, because there are some takers out there and they you know it seems to be one-way traffic and just stepping away from those and and spending more time with those that, that see it as a two-way conversation is, is is hugely important yeah yeah agree absolutely um yeah as we said at the start we could talk for hours Nick, but i'm conscious <laughs> yeah. we could we could start drawing, i've got one, start I've got one of close. our one of those meetings that i that we was we've been talking about <laughs> it's already started there's me oh, right. the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, just to, just to, to bring this bring this to a close, let's um, we've we've kind of talked about starting things up. Like what what would you like? What advice would you give to people? Someone who's thinking about starting a travel business. Uh, you know, there are people who have started businesses during the pandemic, just before the pandemic. There's people who love travel and will want to start a business despite the pandemic. What like what would like the key pieces of advice? be that you give to those people yeah um so um learn your craft you know don't 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 run forward too quickly take your time finding an area points of difference and so on but don't try and be too clever with it i mean at the end of the day travel is all about inspiring destinations and really really good customer service and to a certain point now great tech as well so just you just look at the foundations and then plan ahead about how you want your team to grow we we will all fall into the same traps so i've done it you've done it tom no doubt you know we all sort of get to these areas of growth and you're sort of pretty convinced that two more people in six more months and you'll be absolutely flying again it's not true you know um so just 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 grow slowly and carefully and 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 i think designing or setting out those values and and ensuring that they are really meaningful and they actually they actually represent your position on things is vitally important because without purpose and values, I know it's sort of a, you know a growing thing now. I get that. I'm, I'm not suggesting otherwise, but but it, but it, they are vitally important. Whether you choose to shout them from the treetops or not doesn't matter. That's up to you. But actually, um, making sure that everyone that's within the business and and outside the business, all stakeholders, understand them is 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 vital to a you know to to achieving a level of contentment. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, like you say, it's easy to go and copy and paste Netflix's values and put them on your website, yeah. but it doesn't it doesn't do anything, doesn't mean anything. It's more like kind of what you were saying earlier on of the it's the thing that's bubbling under the surface that maybe people haven't quite yeah. yet worked out how to voice and, and describe, but spending the time to like dig into that yeah. is, is a good thing. You know, when you can, when you can formalize them, they give people that guide and kind of way of going about things and they give people from the outside the like immediate insight into what what you're about absolutely um, so, yeah. so yeah there's 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 lots of ways you can go off track there uh, and they're, they're, they're not they're not being useful but if i think if you do it the right way they're yeah they're, they're integral 
Um, and last one, just tell us about the like the future. So yeah, with you know, fingers crossed, you're, we're, we're kind of coming out the other yeah. side. How do you see the business? Like you've made these big changes. How do you see that kind of developing in the, yeah. in the next few I, years? I think really simply, we just stay on this path. We've, we've been working with a strategist this last three, four months. We've got a really, really interesting uh new new strategy which we're just putting the finishing touches to now we're going to get to work on the on, on on how we're going to deliver that it's it's a bit of a watch this space for the time being but it's really exciting and it's going to be the glue that holds us together coming out of this and and you know with the likes of me at the at the head of the business in the past i am my attention is drawn left, right, centre, up and down all the time, and it's been too erratic, and it's and it's un, you know it's it's unstable, and it's hard for people who are in the business who are trying to sort of keep up with me jumping from one thing to another. I think this strategy is going to be what really sort of locks us in and gives us a really clear direction to be moving in. Um, and I think you know just just staying on the track that we're on, and 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 I know you're on with with seeing the business not as my business but as our business, and ensuring that everyone feels that they are contributing. Um, constantly, we want to stay small. We're going to stay small. No, no question about that. And um, yeah, I mean, possibly beyond Asia in the future, but that's that's not that's not on the near horizon at the moment. Yeah, love it. We could we could talk forever. Yeah. I might, I'll have to get you back on for a round two at some okay, point. Okay, we'd look um, forward to that. <laughs> where's where's best? Where's the best? place for people to find you selectiveasia.com is obviously yep. the website anywhere else you would like people uh, to go nick pulley on linkedin um you can come across there and this perhaps where i was talking a little bit more about some of the the things behind the scenes we're doing but yeah very much on the um, on the website yeah fantastic nick thanks so much Tom, for coming thank on. you very much lovely to talk to you you too cheers Bye. there you go i hope you enjoyed that one and have taken down some of the tips that nick shared you could probably tell, but I really enjoyed that one as well. That is a topic that is very close to my heart and uh, I really love talking to Nick about it and finding out more about their experience uh, of, of running the business in that particular way. If you go to selectiveasia.com for more information, you can also find links to the various social channels uh, for the business and you can also find Nick on LinkedIn as well and connect with him there to find out more about what their business is up to. I'd also highly recommend checking out the resources in the show notes if you like the sound of the self-organizing business approach that we mentioned, as there's loads of cool things that Nick mentioned there that could transform how you do business if it feels like it's a good fit for you. All those show notes and links are at seotravel.co.uk forward slash Nick Pulley. That's N-I-C-K hyphen P-U-L-L-E-Y. You can also watch the video of the conversation there or visit seotravel.co.uk forward slash podcast for all the other episodes so far and you can get lots of other insight there as well. If you're a travel company looking for marketing support from people who really care about your success then please do get in touch at seotravel.co.uk and we'd love to hear from you. You can also read more about our 100% initiative there which outlines how we give all the profit we make from the business to educational charities both at home and around the world. We'd love your support in spreading the word there so we can help give those charities as much as possible from our work. If you enjoyed the show, it'd be fantastic if you could review us on iTunes and share what your favourite bits were, subscribe to it, and we'd love it if you could share it with at least one person who could benefit from the episode and the insight that Nick shared. If you haven't already, give our other episodes a listen as well. We've had some incredible stories from guests already in season one, and there's lots more to come in season two as well. So stay tuned for future episodes and when you do subscribe, you'll get notified when we release new episodes so you can be one step ahead of the game. 
Otherwise, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, happy travels. Bye.